Welcome to Work Mom Says Don't Be an Idiot. And now, here's your host, Work Mom. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Work Mom Says Don't Be an Idiot. As I remind you every episode, I am here to help young professionals learn to play the emotional contact sport of business so they experience less drama and more success. And today's topic is really of interest to me because we're going to talk about sobriety. And I, this one's near and dear to me because when I was younger, I come from some serious trauma and I was taught from a very early age that alcohol is an incredible anesthetic. And it is. And unfortunately, a lot of us go to college and get pulled into this culture of partying. It's so fun until it's not. And I personally have been sober for several years and really don't preach to other people, but there are some things to think about if you notice that alcohol is the least bit of a problem for you. And so our guest today is Chrissy Zavikar. And Chrissy, got my attention on LinkedIn because she had shared some really um, vulnerable things about her experience with sobriety and what it has done for her, how she got there and what it's done for her. And she agreed to join us today. Chrissy, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you do and why you're committed to sobriety and sharing your story so openly. Absolutely. It's always a loaded question when you're asked to introduce yourself. It's like, which direction do I go? Um, I will start by saying I am a working mom. So I have that in common with you. I have three kids. Um, they're 11 and a half, 10 and seven. And my 11 and a half year old is getting close to my height, which is a little crazy. And I'm five, Isn't seven and wild? a half. So <laughs> yeah, she's like a real person, which is very interesting. Uh, but I girl, boy, girl. So I love being a mother. Um, I am a very passionate individual, um, very deep individual. Um, and for me, um, I've always been really focused on my career, um, worked in sports for a time. Um, I worked for the Detroit lions for 10 years, which was really fun. I almost consider that my college because my college was a craze of, um, trauma. Um, mm. but I, I worked for the lions for a bit. I'm a writer first. Um, I do social media, digital marketing, um, and now I work for um, a company called Team 84 as their chief marketing communications officer. And I've also had my own business um, for about six years, specializing in LinkedIn consulting. And for me, sharing my message of sobriety was really about going deeper into what am I here to do? Because I was constantly sharing about you know, LinkedIn and being, you know, trying to be funny and all that kind of stuff. I am quite funny, but um, trying to be funny <laughs> and um, really love sharing other people's stories. And that's really my sweet spot. And what I believe I'm here on this earth to do is to help people share their stories. And I, I started getting met with people telling me, well, you're not doing yourself any justice. And I realized that I was really kind of skimming the surface in terms of myself and so I, I really dug in as far as what is it that I'm here to do? What is my personal story? And I realized that the one component that 
trickles down into everything for me was sobriety. Everything that I've done to me that's worthy of sharing comes back to that. And it's kind of this umbrella piece. And sobriety isn't just about abstaining from a substance. It's also about living with presence and being present in yourself and with your own body. So that was what I wanted to step out and share because my experience was that so many are living probably as I was, which was almost um, in a bit of a haze. So I'm, I really look kind of for those functional people um, who maybe don't realize just how far from themselves they are and, you know, maybe don't recognize you know, what alcohol is doing in their lives. So, but, but don't have anyone to really reach out to. So I don't want to dig too far into it. Um, but anyway, that's, that's my story. So I think my experience anyway, has been that a lot of people, um, our culture really normalizes it too. A lot of people reach for a drink when they're stressed. Oh, I feel stressed. Give me this cocktail. I'll feel relaxed. I'll feel better. I'll feel happier. And it's so normal. I mean, to the point where I forget what grocery store commercial it was I saw recently. And the mom is, you know, stocking up on groceries and haha, busy mom on the way out grabs a big bottle of wine because that's what our culture this works. So what do we do about that messaging for young people that might have a problem? I don't know that we're going to be changing public messaging, but I know there's a lot of people out there working to make that happen. And the sober culture has really risen up to where people are talking about it because the whole thing is, yes, it's quote unquote coping with stress, but in reality, it's numbing out from whatever's causing the stress. So instead of sitting there saying, why am I stressed? What's going on? You know, why am I having such a hard time and processing that? Let's just make it go away temporarily. And what I try to even tell my kids is feelings are not arbitrary they they're real they they live in you and you have to let them go in order to let them to free yourself from them and if you just stuff them down they just fester and they create you know a a, a state where your body is feeling the repercussions of not processing emotion or processing stress processing whatever it is that's leading to it so when we drink all that's doing is pouring gasoline on a fire it's just making it that much worse, or it's just avoiding whatever it is that you're trying to um, get away from. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think the toxic positivity days are over. I think that really contributed, <laughs> you know, like everybody be happy. Don't worry, be happy. It's like, yeah, I can be happy if yeah. I have a drink in my hand because I'm freaking out right now at the office. Uh, I mean, it really, I think a lot of, a lot more people, you talk about the social, sober culture. I do see a lot more people in my feed that I know personally that are just saying, hey, I'm 378 days sober and I feel a lot better. If you guys want support, call me. Let's do this together. And it's more common and it's a lot less, um, people are chastising each other less, you know, I think for it. It's becoming more normalized than it was, say, 10 years ago. Um, Totally different 10 years ago when you, if you went with a group and you didn't drink, they're like, give you side eye and you know, wow, why not? You know, so um, let's talk about your online group. What helped you when once you made the decision that, yeah, I probably should lighten up on this, uh, Chrissy, what what helped you actually get sober? How did you find that resource? So for me, um, I'm very stubborn. I'm not going to do anything unless I want to do it. 
So for me, once it was time to quit, I was done. And not everybody can say that, but I guess for me, really, the relapsing and all that really happened before and in my own world, because I didn't want to tell anybody I was struggling, because if I told anybody I was struggling, someone might try to hold me accountable, and Mm. I was not going to go down that path. So for me, it was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to quit. It was the, and people will talk about this, the negotiations you make with yourself, like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to have one. I'll just have one tonight. I'm going to cut down and just have one, you know, three days a week or whatever. That never works because one drink in you, Chrissy, is not going to rationally make a decision. Um, So Uh I went around that circle for years and years. So for me, when it was time to quit, um, I had, I quit once, had a two week hiatus, Uh tried it again and realized this is so not worth it and then quit for good. And that group was really just deep into personal development. Laura McCowan, who I talked about earlier um, as a person who shared her sobriety that was really, really impactful for me, was one of the leaders of that group. Um, the other is named Meadow DeVore, and she actually just um, published a book about um, some of the tools that she helped us through, which is basically, um, you know, we were just really looking at shame. Um, she calls it the Worthy Project, which was really impactful for me, and basically the idea of, um, how how worthy do you think you are of money, of a home that's good for you? Uh, and there's just all these different ways she dug into it that helped me see how much shame I was carrying. And, you know, for me, that drinking was about avoiding my own feelings about myself. So. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really common, though, when you mm-hmm. talk to people who are consider themselves alcoholics who don't drink in AA or any of those programs that 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 shame and that devaluing of self is so hard for our for us to get our arms around. I think that we would rather avoid it than try to dig in and figure it out because <laughs> it's hard to figure out when you have those deep feelings yes. of shame and trauma. It's a lot of work to get yourself back into a healthy space mm-hmm. to feel those Absolutely. emotions, right? Feel them, you dig in, figure out the, to me, it was always about like the limiting beliefs that you created based on what happened to you that really don't apply anymore, that you can dig in and get rid of. Um, and a lot of that shame is, to me, shame is always a useless emotion that is somehow imposed on us as children, usually. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, too, is that, you know, alcohol is a drug, an addictive substance. And as much as people, and I actually think that the term alcoholic, and I understand why some people use the term alcoholic, but I actually think that does a lot of people a disservice because Mm -hmm. it's a great excuse for people to be able to say, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't look like the guy on the street with a paper bag who's stumbling around and doesn't have a home to go to. That's an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic. Well, there's a huge spectrum of problem drinking that, that doesn't necessarily have to be labeled alcoholic. And when I talk about my own drinking, I say I ha- I was addicted to alcohol. Yeah, I don't say it. I was a quote unquote alcoholic because it helps a lot of people justify their drinking. Oh, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I'm just like everybody else. Well, and it's a substance that's addictive. The more you use it, the more you become reliant on it, just like anything. And one of the big... Um, resources for me was right after I 
decided to get sober when I was exploring it, I started listening to the book, Drinking a Love Story. Have you ever read that, Lori? I have. Yep. That was one of those books I read. <laughs> yep. I devoured it. Oh, I, it was, I did it via so audiobook, but I devoured it. And when she talked about um, the um, clinical stages of drinking and how she got the questionnaire and went through the different, um, the different things, I really recognized in myself that I was in the later middle stage. And if I kept going, it was inevitable that I would end up at a certain stage, no matter how long it took me, I would get there eventually. And I think that's the thing people don't realize is that you're using an addictive substance and the more you use it, the more your body gets used to it. So you need more and you don't need to be quote unquote born an alcoholic to develop a drinking problem. You can develop no. a drinking problem just by continually drinking. Yeah, just by succumbing to the marketing. Oh my gosh, because as a non-drinker, I am so I find it so interesting how they develop new products that follow along on consumer trends. Like the mm-hmm. we like fizzy water, well now we have fizzy water with alcohol in it. <laughs> you know, it's like doesn't matter what it is. If if we're drinking it and we like it and it's pop culture, they'll find a way to put alcohol in it to sell it, you know. Um, so you have a Samuel L. Jackson article that you mentioned when we were talking in preparation for this uh, this podcast today. Tell me about that story. I thought that was interesting, and I love finding stories from um, celebrities that are now sharing about their sobriety, especially ones that have the street cred that they can say that they're sober. Like I know Eminem is sober. Um, Elton John, um, you know, these people who um, have really embraced sobriety, and I think that gives it a new face, which is great. So I was reading this article because I actually had come across a quote, and it led me to the article. And he was talking about his sobriety journey, and he had gotten to a point because essentially he was just a hot mess. And his wife was like, you're a hot mess. And so he ended up um, stopping the drinking. But what I found fascinating was that the things that he talked about that went through his mind, I know from talking to so many other people who drink, go through everyone who's thinking about quitting goes through their mind. How is my life going to be when I don't have alcohol? How boring is it going to be? What am I going to do? And am I going to be as good at life? So he actually talked about, I'm afraid my life wouldn't be as exciting. I didn't think I'd be as good of an actor. And he quit drinking, quit doing drugs, and he got better at acting mm-hmm. and his life got mm-hmm. more enriched. And that happened with me as well. I knew that if I continued drinking, I would not reach my potential as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. Mm-hmm. Um, my productivity was crap. Um, I, my focus was bad. And I, I knew in the back of my mind, if I don't stop this, I'm never going to be as good as I can be. And so I thought that was just really fascinating to hear him talk about that as well. And then when he did come out the other side, realizing, hey, you know what? I'm actually better at my craft. And having gone through the adversity has added to my ability to act different characters because I have now the life experience having gone through it. Not that I think you should develop a drinking problem just so you have the life experience. Um, but it does. It gives you it gives you something to pull from. Absolutely. Chrissy, you mentioned earlier how much pressure you thought, you know, that you see is put on people to drink. I didn't drink until I decided I was going to. And then I'm just, I just thank the Lord above that nothing horrible happened to me and I didn't end up dead. 
because the situations I put myself in, um, especially in college, were horrible. Um, but pressure to drink, I mean, adults do it all the time. And I think that, especially in work functions, and I think the thing that I think is interesting, having now taken a step back mm -hmm. and not drinking anymore, being on the other side, because like I was that person that was trying to pressure other people to drink. And I completely fully admit it, 100%. I was like, why aren't you drinking? And it wasn't about them. It was about me. Like, hey, I don't want to be the one, you know, and you don't think this through. It's not like you you consciously mm -hmm. have this thought process. It's a subconscious thing yep. you realize. But you don't want to be the only one. Like, do you not remember when you'd go to an event or you'd go to a get together, even if it was a small get together, and someone would pull out alcohol and you'd be like, oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. Or, or somebody else at like your, or you're out to dinner. Yeah. And, or you're out to dinner and someone else orders a drink first and you're like, yes, I don't have to be that person. And someone else <laughs> took it off me and now I can just join them with everybody so else. Like, and so I've found that anybody yeah. that pressures anyone else to drink, they do not have a healthy relationship with alcohol, period. Uh -huh. So if someone is, is concerned about your drinking, they have a problem. So always think that, think about that in that book, um, drinking a love story where she says that if you look at yeah. what is responsible drinking or what are you supposed to drink? And it's like just one. And if your yeah. answer is what's the point you, you shouldn't be drinking <laughs> like period. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And, Why would and I only a, have one? <sighs> and that's a hard thing for, I think that would probably be a hard thing for people to really think through because it is though, if you're drinking for the high, there's an issue with that. Like you're not supposed to drink for the high. That's the point, which is kind of goes against what we all consider the point. But if you look in other cultures too, yeah. that's not why they drink. Like people that have alcohol everywhere or wine everywhere, they don't drink to get drunk. They just drink because they like it or because it's just yeah. part of the culture. But not to get silly and stupid like, uh, like some of us would. Um, so Moving on now, sobriety for young professionals. I'm just going to throw this out there. What do you think a young professional might need to look for besides all the things we've talked about that would indicate that maybe they wanted to just look in a little, look a little into giving it up? Um, I don't even know that I would say looking into giving it up as much as if you find yourself at an at a, an event a professional event and number one if you're being pressured to drink and you genuinely don't want to look at where you're working number get yourself out of the situation if you're at a work function and you can't stop yourself from drinking look inward because really when you think about it when you're in your 20s Lord help us all when we're in our 20s. We're just trying to figure out, we're just trying to figure out life in our 20s. And um, the last thing you need is to be drinking alcohol around your employer or your senior colleagues. Like if you want to put yourself in a position for success, honestly too, like don't drink and watch all of them act crazy. And then you got dirt on them. But uh -huh. not, that we're, not that we're condoning blackmail. But, but it is like, it, and if you can't stop yourself. If you can't stop yourself from drinking at the holiday party, or whatever, because you just can't stop yourself, then that's, that's a reason to look inward and ask yourself, why do I feel like I have to drink? Are you trying to get over nerves? Are you trying to make sure that you fit in? 
all those different things are worth exploring because the last thing you want to do is be, I know, oh God, just thinking about professional experiences and drinking and <sighs> being 20 and God help me. Yeah. God help me. Tough times, tough times. <laughs> so the, the thing that I find really interesting is a lot of times we are, especially when you're younger in your career and you're just starting out, you've got a lot of pressure to do it right, to speak up, to um, get over your imposter syndrome, to be a shining star, rise above, you know, succeed, perform. Um, and if you're suffering at all from the stress of that or trauma that's hanging around, which it does, there are ways that you can heal and cope with that stress that are much more healthy than alcohol. And I like to encourage people to at least, you know, I put a calendar item in my calendar every day that just pops up as a self-care question mark, because you, mm -hmm. that's taking care of yourself helps prevent you from getting to that point where you're just freaking out, stressing out. And Chrissy, when we talked, you had a lot of really interesting ideas of things that you do to help you heal that helped you cope, that helped you um, get your emotional house in order um, so that the sobriety thing isn't as difficult. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yes. And first I'll say too, that sobriety was really the beginning. Um, and I was in counseling like CBT, um, cognitive behavioral therapy for a good decade before I got sober, actually just past five years Nice. Like last week, like nice. a few days ago. And um, so for 10 years, I was in regular, quote unquote, regular counseling. And I made progress in it. But to me, I didn't really start showing up with myself until I was, till I took the alcohol away. And once I did that, um, I, I call early sobriety PMS on steroids. Oh, wow. um, because yeah. it, I mean, it's like, it's, painful. It, it's like, someone moved something and you're sobbing. I mean, yeah. and then you're angry and then you're this, I mean, it's, and that's, that's the funny thing. You wouldn't call me a clinical alcoholic, but Oh, my body was used to having that substance and it did not deal well with all of a sudden not having it. Oh yeah. So you're, you're, you're inundated with these, first of all, these physiological emotions, and then you're dealing with the emotions you were covering up with the alcohol. So um, for me, journaling was really, really big. Um, I've always been a journaler since I was like probably in the third grade. I have journals dating back to elementary school. It's That's like a time fun. capsule. <laughs> um, but for me, I'm a writer, so I write write feelings down. I started yoga um, when I got sober, which was wonderful. And that actually helps with integrating body and mind together. It's a really good way to, um, to do that. Because a lot of times when we're trying to numb out, we're disconnecting from our body. Because, um, you know, our mind you can't always trust your mind. Your mind goes on a bunch of different tangents. It goes in these different places. You get anxiety. You can do all these different things. Your body doesn't lie. And there's times that your body knows things well before your brain does. Got it. So, you know, pay attention to your body, listen to your body. That's a big part. That's part of um, somatic therapy, which I, when I got into therapy um, after getting sober a couple of years, um, I wanted someone that did work that wasn't cognitive behavioral therapy. I was like, I can do that to myself at this point. I'm so familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy. And if you, if you research actual trauma, um, talk therapy does not help real trauma. Mm. 
um, because trauma is, or you know, what I've read, and there's a book um, I mentioned to you called The Body Keeps the Score. And it was the first book recommended to me by Laura McCowan. She said, read that first. And what it talks about, um, this individual that wrote it, um, he started working with Vietnam veterans first, and then he ended up working with a lot of individuals that had experienced all different kinds of traumas. And they did, um, you know, as technology got better, but they did um, brain scans while they were reading these people accounts of their own traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. And there were horrible experiences. And then they mapped the brain. And so what they saw was that basically, and the most, the most basic example is the war veteran who's back home on the 4th of July. And when the fireworks go off, they believe they're in combat. Mm -hmm. That's the most basic example. But that happens. This book talks about that happening with everyone. These studies saying that when you're triggered, your brain believes you're actually back in that situation. Yep. So if you've ever been in that situation, which I'm sure every single one of us has, where you're like, why am I reacting so strongly to this little thing? And more than likely, it's because you're relating your body, your mind is relating that little thing to something much bigger in your life. Mm -hmm. And your brain is acting like you're back there. Like I'm faced with this threat again. So like I was bullied as a kid, right? So then I would get these triggers of bullying in the workplace, actually. So people probably have experienced that. Mm -hmm. And I'm acting like these people are trying to take me down. And they just said something on an adult level that was extremely innocent. And you were all of a sudden but eight years old, right? You go back to that absolutely. time with your emotional response. So fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you sit, and you sit there and go, oh, that's why I'm acting like a child, which it's very embarrassing. It's really not a fun experience. No. But the whole thing is the way to get through that is to connect body and mind. So instead of when you have that trigger, you're, you're taken to this immediate brain response. If you can start connecting with your body and recognizing it's okay, I'm safe. I'm not back in that other place. And yoga is a good way to do that. Somatic therapy is a good way to do that. Um, I did a lot of inner child work and that continues to be very um, beneficial for me. Um, I read, it was in a book called The Journey from Abandonment to Healing. And it talks about talking to your little, mm -hmm. so you're big and you're little. And as a journaler, that was really helpful for me because I could actually journal dialogue between each of these. Oh, that's awesome. And for me personally, it was helpful because it helped me separate this childlike behavior I was engaging in that was really humiliating to me mm -hmm. and also helped me realize that as if I was humiliated by that behavior, it was actually self-rejection. Um, I read this really profound quote in a different book um, that was called Healing Developmental Trauma. And it basically said, you really come to a head when you recognize that you're doing to yourself what everyone else has been doing to you your entire life. And we learn. So by we sitting there well, saying, right? <laughs> right. But it's like, if you are ashamed by your own behavior, what you're really doing is rejecting a part of yourself that's calling for something. So, so a part of you somewhere is in need of something. And it might not be someone else's responsibility to, to accommodate that. It might be your own. But the more you try to push that away, I can tell you from experience, the louder it gets. Oh, yeah. So if you're sitting there going, oh, my gosh, I hate when I get 
really upset because this person at work keeps talking down to me or I believe they're talking down to me. That was a huge one. You believe somebody's talking down to you. And in reality, they might not be, but you're hearing it that way. You're reacting and responding. It's on you to help yourself learn how to process that. You know, are you in an unhealthy situation you need to remove yourself from? Or are you internalizing something a way that it's because of your previous experience in life, you're taking it a certain way. And I'll tell you that the biggest growth I've had since I quit drinking was in the workplace. And it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> it was awful having having to do that in front of other people. Well, one of the reasons we do this is because I do think that we teach people how to do jobs, but we don't teach them how to manage the emotional challenges that come with work. Because if you work with the same people every day, you're going to run into that person that triggers you with something, you know, or you're going to trigger something yeah. else and they're going to act out and you don't want to come back at them with your child. And before you know it, you got something really silly going on. So it's, it's really yes. interesting how, um, how employers don't train on emotion management or emotion. Yeah. 100%. Health. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually fascinates me too. And it's something I'm passionate about and I want to get into eventually is the idea that you don't become a different person just because you walk into your office. Right. You're still carrying all your past, your baggage, all of these things, but there's this expectation to just leave it on the port or leave it on the doorstep. Nope. And it doesn't work that way. So, so either helping people understand how to cope or helping each other, how to engage, you know, I don't know what the answer is. I truly right. don't, but I do know that I personally experienced an extremely difficult time period where I had to kind of get through some personal stuff in front of other people, which was humiliating, mm -hmm. absolutely humiliating. It's hard. It can be really hard. We've covered a whole lot here. And Chrissy, we always ask if you have any crazy work stories you want to share, because so many of us have really bizarre things that happen at work. Got any? So this is kind of, this isn't, this isn't really crazy. I guess it's just kind of an entertaining story. And I was, and it's very general, but I was telling somebody about this the other day. It made me laugh. So when you, when you work in the NFL, when you work for a team, you have to be a certain breed, right? If you're a female, you really got to be a guy's girl. And for me, yeah. the way I grew up, I was kind of the son my dad never had. And so for me, I have a foul mouth. I actually, part of my issue with uh, work that I was talking about that I had to get over was learning how to be more professional because I was so used to working in an environment with um, professional athletes and coaches that you swear whenever you want, oh, you say yeah. whatever you want, whatever. So what always made me yep. laugh was, you know, we're around this all the time. I mean, it is what it is. There, you know, you have swearing, you have cursing, whatever. It's a professional sport. And I would always laugh when I would be at practice and just randomly, just out of nowhere, a coach would be on the sideline, he'd be yelling, and then he'd swear at someone. And then he'd turn around and go, sorry about that, Chrissy. I'm like, you know, you really, <laughs> really, you just pick right now. You pick this second to decide that you're so sorry for cursing the, this one time that you did out of the hundred thousand that you did today. It just would always make me laugh. That you do constantly. Oh, yeah. It always makes me laugh. But, <laughs> I love it. I but, love it. yeah, I traveled with the team. I have some great, great memories, hilarious stories just about just being a part of a team. And, you know, honestly, like I said, being with that team 
in a lot of senses was like my college. So it was a lot of fun. Oh, that's super fun. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a good photo bomber too. So if you, um, so Calvin Johnson, he just was inducted into the hall of fame last year and, uh, he broke a record. He broke the all time wide receiving yards record. And I was the social media person and I had an all access pass. So I made sure Uh that I was always there to capture photos and video. Well, the quote unquote real media got really mad with at me really quickly um, because I would always put myself on the other side (laughs) so that I would get the picture. (laughs) So I have all of these pictures. And actually when I do, um, when I talk, when I do talks, and I introduced myself and talk about how I used to work with the Lions. I have this slide of like six different photobomb pictures of me. And it's like, where's Chrissy? And I'm in the background of all oh, these it. pictures with my phone, like taking all these pictures. And it's hilarious. So I'm like the world's best photobomber. Everybody, I'm sure, Love loathed it. me. It was awful. But yeah. AKA the world's best photo bomber. Yeah, that's me. So <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. I really, really appreciate it. Um, where can people find you and your work, Chrissy? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash IN slash Chrissy Zavakar, and they can look for the spelling here. Um, we will be, I will be launching my new website soon called stackbrands.com, which is um, what my current business, Elink Consulting, is actually evolving into stack brands, which is a partnership between me and my business partner, Herman Moore. He actually played for the lions as well. Um, not when I was there, but he did play for the lions, um, for 10 years. He was a fantastic wide receiver. Yep. So we have our, my business. Thank you. So my business is evolving, um, from just being LinkedIn to really being a branding and marketing agency, but still doing a lot of LinkedIn. So anybody that wants to know all about LinkedIn, come find me. So that's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. I always like to close by inviting you to visit our website at workmomsays.com. We have an intake form. Please contact me. Let me know what you want to hear about, what you'd like us to cover, what guests you'd like us to have. If you think you'd make a good guest and have some great stories to tell, we'd love to hear from you. And that's it. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Work Mom Says... Don't be an idiot. For more information, you can email Work Mom at L-O-R-I WorkMomSays.com. That's Lori at WorkMomSays.com. And remember... (sighs) Don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot.